We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1983's Sleepaway Camp, written and directed by Robert Hiltzik. My name is Patrick Murphy. Joining me, as always, is Ricky D. And, of course, we also have Mr. Simon Howell. Gentlemen. Notice how my voice went down introducing Simon. That's due to probably uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. (laughs) Great movie. (laughs) Everyone should watch it. Uh, All right. So, Sleepaway Camp. Rick, you chose Sleepaway Camp for this week. Tell us why. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I chose Richard Hilsig's deeply gay-coded slasher film from the 80s. I love this movie. I don't know if I would call it a great movie, but, you know, it's summertime. I used to work at a summer camp for three summers back-to-back. I was a camp coordinator. I saw a lot of weird shit, and I can tell you right now I worked with some really crazy, psychotic people. So I guess nostalgia got the best of me, and I felt the need to watch a movie that used the summer camp as a primary setting. But I also chose Summer Camp because at its heart, it is just one of those classic low-budget slasher films from the 80s. But I think if you look deep enough, we'll talk about this. But again, going back to the gay coding, like it's a really interesting movie. It's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. When people watch that movie nowadays, they view it differently than when they watched the movie back when it came mm-hmm. out in the 80s. But I'm also kind of like really shocked that after 585 episodes, we've never reviewed this movie, which is one of my favorite slasher films of all time. But Patrick, the number one reason why I chose Sleepaway Camp is because I'm here to tell you why Ricky is one of my favorite characters ever in slasher films. And I'm here here to discuss the Ricky theory. Oh, I can't wait to hear about this. I don't really know a whole lot about this movie. But uh, before we dive into it, let's hear a a quick uh, clip from Sleepaway Camp. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at Sleepaway Camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba Reba! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Turn it! Turn the wheel! 
sleepaway camp, you won't be coming home. All right, that was a clip from Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> okay, let's dive into this. I, for, I need to hear about this Ricky theory. First of all, what is the Ricky theory? For anybody who doesn't know, Ricky is one of the kids in Sleepaway Camp. He's, uh, I guess you could call him, he's not the main character, but he's the cousin of the main character, and he's he's right up there. He's, he's the, the main character 1A, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Ricky. I mean, maybe it's because we share the exact same name, but I love his look. I love his attitude. I love the way he's such a badass. I think he's actually maybe the best actor in the film, at least out of the kids. I think he was 17 at the time when they filmed the movie. He plays a 14-year-old, if I'm not mistaken. I'm assuming that everyone that's listening right now has seen this movie, okay? So I think the Ricky Theory is actually a great way to start the podcast because I'm actually going to have to go through the movie and not necessarily beat by beat, but just like pinpoint a few scenes, mostly the murder scenes, to explain the Ricky Theory. So the theory goes, Sleepaway Camp clearly has many different interpretations depending on who you speak to, right? But put aside the psychology. Let's just look at the actual kills, the murders, so the theory goes that there isn't just one killer, there are two killers, and Ricky is actually one of the two killers. What, what's the evidence, Ricky? Let's hear yeah, the evidence. Yeah, what's the evidence? I guess we should say that for those who, who haven't uh, seen the movie, and if you haven't, like, whatever, we're spoiling it for you anyway, uh, Ricky's cousin, Angela, is confirmed murder. Like, she is, or I guess it's a he uh, in the end. Well, we uh, actually don't know. Really. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's easier to use she because, you know, the character is played by a female actor. So I'm going to go with she just because it's easier and also, like, it's a very thorny issue. We really don't don't know how Angela identifies herself exactly. within the movie. Yeah. Right. So, so okay, first of all, the, the, the thing that we have to focus on right here is we know this from the start of the film and later on if we get flashbacks of Ricky's mom, Angela's aunt, and she's, like, clearly the most psychotic character in the film. She's messed up, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to keep in mind that Ricky's mom is psychotic and Ricky's mom is the reason why Angela is Angela mm -hmm. because, because she wanted a daughter. So she made the boy dress like a girl and pretend to be a girl. Okay. So keep in mind that Angela's crazy aunt, Ricky's mom is fucked up. So the theory goes, when you look at the first murder, so the first murder happens right away it happens so quick that it doesn't give angela enough time to process what's going on or give her enough time to really have any deep-seated dark uh, vengeful revengeful uh, vengeful emotions that actually want to go and kill artie there's an unseen killer clearly who enters the kitchen and kills artie but it's just the idea that angela hasn't suffered enough for her to actually go out and kill artie but well, other than her entire life of suffering well, but why Artie? <laughs> well, so, because he we tried know, to... But we know Ricky has been to the camp several times before, and we know that shit has happened to him because this is repeated throughout the entire film. So then you look at the second murder, okay? This is... Wait, can, can I address the first murder first? Like, what is she... So she he did attempt to essentially rape or molest her. Uh, the, the threat was certainly present. But I have a theory as to, like... The, that he he attacks Ricky right when Ricky bursts in on the scene and he shoves him up against the wall and tells him that he's not going to tell anybody about this. That happens like for the first couple of murders, Ricky is sort of the victim of some attack and in defending her, 
And I almost felt like she was, uh, because she does seem to be very comfortable around Ricky, that she was doing it out of, like, not so much what happened to her, but what somebody did to him. Exactly. So Ricky was a victim of Artie, too, in, in that sense. And for all we know, maybe he sexually abuses dudes, not just girls, right? Maybe. So anyways, move on to the second Wouldn't murder. Wouldn't surprise me with that guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the second murder is Kenny's death. So... Angela couldn't have been a good enough swimmer to actually catch up to the canoe and kill him, especially under the water, especially because every scene that we see Angela in, she can barely swim and she avoids water like a plague. Unless she's faking it. But more importantly, that is the weird one, though. Here's the thing. When Kenny teases the killer, when he actually sees the killer face to face, the way he speaks and what he says implies that it can't be Angela. It's most likely Ricky. And remember... Kenny and the boys did say that they were going to beat the shit out of Ricky after losing the baseball game to Ricky and his team. Yes. Okay. Third murder. Mozart's hunting knife. Remember that? Okay, Mm. so they used the knife during the whipped cream prank. Now, the knife is taken by Gene, who hides it in the cabin, but in clear view of Ricky. Ricky actually knows where to knife is hidden not angela so later the older boys they throw water balloons at angela when standing on top of the roof ricky lets loose he gets super super angry remember he's swearing up and down left and right it's hilarious it's amazing (laughs) this is why ricky's my favorite (laughs) mel has to restrain ricky as if ricky is the major threat here and then we get ricky's death stare then we cut to lunchtime Angela is told to change her wet clothes. Ricky goes and gets the hunting knife from the cabin, gives it to Angela. So the theory is that Ricky is the one who walks into the stall, into the cabin, because it's a boy's cabin. So it makes it easier for a boy to enter a boy's dressing room, a boy's washroom, instead of a girl. Because he has to sneak in and sneak out without anyone noticing, right? So it wouldn't seem like odd that a boy is going to a boy's cabin. So Ricky's the one that goes into the stall. He locks the door and Angela has the knife because Ricky gave Angela the knife. So she's the one who tears through the, uh, not the window, but the. Um... It's like a, it's like a plastic separator. It's a screen. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. screen. window Thank screen. You. She cuts through. She, 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 she tears. She, oh, she sorry. Tears I'm apart in the wrong the, murder. Yeah. She tears apart the, the screen with the knife given to her by, by Ricky and drops the beehive into the stall, right. and it, he dies because the bees attack him. One of so the most th- creative murders, by the way. Uh, the, the, yeah. some, of the, some of the murders in this movie are very creative. So then we get the classic voice of doom. So every classic horror film from the 80s has a voice of doom, and in this movie, it's Mel. Mel is the voice of doom. Mel believes Ricky's the killer. He says, I've seen the hate in his eyes before. He says this multiple times throughout the film, implying that in the past, Ricky has done some terrible shit at the summer camp. Okay, so then we get Angela. At one point, she's waiting for Ricky. I don't know if you remember the scene, but she's standing around, she's waiting for Ricky, and Paul surprises her from behind and scares her. And she says, I thought, she said, what did she say? She says, "Um, I thought you were the killer. I thought you were the killer. Which is kind of like correct, because if she and Ricky are actually the killers, it, it seems clear as day that she's actually waiting for Ricky, not waiting for Paul. Wait, that's the thing. I have a question about that. Why was it? Why was she waiting for Ricky there? I thought she was waiting for Paul, and I thought she was just being like jokey, saying, "Oh, I thought you were the killer." But I thought, why was she waiting for Ricky there? 
Well, she could have been waiting for Ricky. She could have been waiting for Paul. It's just weird if she's just standing around in the middle of nowhere waiting for someone. Sure. Yeah, it's it's weird that Angela would be weird. <laughs> okay, then we get the capture the flag scene. So Ricky asks Angela for help with capture the flag. Okay, fine. He tells her to go one way. He goes in a different direction. He tries to convince her that once they do this, it will all be over, et cetera, et cetera. So it basically, it basically demonstrates how he is the mastermind behind the whole killing spree. A deranged young mind taking advantage of a confused young mind. Okay. So then we get Mel, once again, the voice of doom. He catches Ricky at the beach. Remember, once again, he starts accusing Ricky of being the killer. But in that scene, he actually says that he saw Ricky at the scene of the crimes. He saw him at the rec room. He saw him at the waterfront. He saw him, Ricky, at the scene of the crimes. So not only does he have a past with Ricky, not only did Ricky do things in the, in past summers, but now this summer, he has reason to believe that Ricky is the number one suspect because he was at the scene of each crime. Then, I'm almost finished, then we get Meg's death. So Angela sees Meg, she goes into the shower, she grabs the hunting knife, which makes sense because Angela does have the hunting knife. So clearly, in this case, Angela is the killer. She kills Meg. Then we get Judy's death. Judy's also one of the best characters in the film, by the way. So this is this one's this one's interesting because remember Ricky skips dinner because apparently he was sick. Yes. So, I just want to can I cut in really quick here? I thought when this when the when the person appears in the doorway, I thought it looked like Ricky. I did not think it looked like Angela at all. It had Ricky's face. And it maybe, was Ricky. It was. So yeah. here's the thing. So Ricky pretends he's sick which allows him to slip out for the night so he doesn't need to go eat dinner with the rest of the kids. He enters Judy's cabin. And on the DVD version, you can clearly see it's the actor playing Ricky. Yes. Maybe they did not intend it to be that clear, but modern (laughs) digital formats now, you can see it's Ricky's face, not Angela's face. And it's very clear. He's just got a wig on. Here's the weird thing. So the actor, Felisa Rose, who plays Angela, her mom would not allow them to let her play the quote-unquote killing hands. Uh... So Jonathan Tiersten had to actually step in and play the killing hands. Jonathan Tiersten plays Ricky. So whenever there's a kill sequence, they actually needed Jonathan, who plays Ricky, to be the killer. So even if this theory is not true, in the filming of the movie, they actually use Ricky to be the killer. But it all makes sense because in this scene, he makes up this excuse that he's sick, which he's not. So he doesn't have to go eat dinner with the kids. And it just so happens that this is when Judy is killed. And like you said, Patrick, when we see him standing in the doorway, it seems like it's clearly Ricky. So It then, is his face. Like yeah. that is the actor doing that. So then we get to the end of the movie. So once again, the voice of Doom runs into Ricky. We know there's history behind, between them. You also have to re- remember that Mel is the camp coordinator. He's the boss. He's mm-hmm. responsible for everything that goes wrong in this camp and everything that goes right. Which means that way back right. in the day when Angela's <laughs> family is killed, he's the one who lets these kids take the speedboat out. He's the irresponsible irresponsible one who lets the kids take the boat and that leads to the death of angela's family right 
So there's a motive to hate Mel. Now he knocks... also Mel beats the shit out of Ricky. So Mel beats the shit out of Ricky. Angela sees this. She assumes he might be dead. She kills Mel with the bow and arrow. Great shot, though. Yeah. <laughs> Great shot, yeah. So that brings us to the very end of the film. She goes and she meets Paul, the only friend she has left in the movie, and she wants to share her secret with Paul. She's ready to let him know that she is really a boy. I'm assuming things did not go right. He probably freaked out. She did not know how to react. She kills him. Can I just quickly say, I am so glad that that whole interaction is not depicted in the film. Yeah, it makes it a little confusing as to why she killed him. Because if you go through every other murder in the movie, there is a clear like motive as to why. I, I didn't find it confusing him. at all. I think well, it, we're totally left to assume what Ricky said. Insane is, I guess, uh, I, I, that's the... Look, nobody likes what rejection. I said or what Ricky said? <laughs> no, what you, what you said, Ricky. Okay. Um, yeah, I, no, I, for sure, for sure. Like, for sure, she he freaked out and she did not know how to react to him freaking out. The fact that now he knows that she's a dude. And, and yeah, she, I mean, look, she's fucked up because, like, her, well, yeah. her dad, her dad and her dad, because technically her dad was gay and having an affair. Well, we assume he's having an affair. Maybe they're married. We don't know. With another man. And then her brother, or her sister, his sister, whatever, dies because of the speedboat accident, right? Then she's left to be raised by a crazy lady, the Aunt Martha. And clearly Ricky's fucked up, too, because his mom is fucked up. So she's going to grow up fucked up. Is, okay... Here's my problem with the Ricky theory. Um, it's I mean, look, it's fun. And the stuff about like the filming and how they couldn't use her hands is really funny. Um, but the biggest problem with the theory is that the movie's not about Ricky. Like we don't know anything about Ricky really, except what you can infer from his backstory. The only person who gets flashbacks is Angela. And the the, the movie's sympathy is with Angela. And I think actually that's the the reason the movie I think is still watchable today. Uh, I think it could have been sunk by by a few things, is the fact that the movie does seem to have... It, the movie really l makes you feel for Angela, or at least I did. Um, I think that's really a coup of casting because Felissa Rose has this eye-to-face ratio that is just unbelievable. <laughs> Disney character. <laughs> yeah, especially for that, for, that first for that first half an hour or so where she doesn't even talk. Um, yeah. I, you, you, you can't help but feel for her um, in this, or at least I can't uh, in, in that scenario. Um, so I don't know. The, the Ricky thing is fun and it's, it is a fun way to talk about this movie, but like, I don't know. It's, it's more trivia than something I actually believe. It's just a theory, but I think it's, I thought it would be a really great fun way to open yeah. up the podcast because it, it does make sense. Like, here's the thing. The director said, he, he said, I think in an interview, and I'm not sure if it was a Blu-ray release, but he's like, who's to say that there isn't more than one killer. Okay. But he also said Ooh. that he was straight up just trying to make a slasher film. So yeah. he wasn't really thinking about any sort of like subtext about no. transgendered individuals or gay subtext or he was just making a slasher film and he used to go to a summer camp and he thought it would make a great setting of which he is correct and so but in terms of making a slasher film it it wouldn't be a shock if the director who's trying to make a crazy shocking twist ending of which it was i mean it's considered one of the greatest endings of all time it wouldn't be surprising if the director is trying to have two killers in his movie I mean, it sounds to me more like a uh, like a post fact, post facto, like kind of embracing the fan base, saying, "Oh yeah, that's a totally like 
yes, maybe he did intend for that ambiguity, or maybe he was just sloppily putting together a 1983 slasher film and like this, the subtext and interpretations came later. Either way is possible. I mean, even with a movie like The Thing, where you'd think that they would have plotted it completely out who was what at every single moment in time. Like, the, it, you can listen to the director's commentary on that. And John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, they're both asking each other, who was who in this? And we never really knew. <laughs> they, they didn't know. They just, the, the ambiguity is part of it. And it was, you know, there, there was like, everybody wants to know who lived in the end or who was the thing in the end. Carpenter openly admitted, like, he has no idea. There, there is just there there was it was never written into the script who was you know who was the thing if anybody was but the reason um, why i think this theory is so interesting is because okay first of all every movie there's like a theory you know what i mean if some movies have yeah. like if it has a fan theory, base yeah right? yeah gazillion fan theories for like the matrix but the reason why this theory i find is so fascinating first of all it makes sense it completely makes sense step by step if you watch a movie you can clearly defend the idea that there are two killers right because there is a backstory given to ricky and you say that Angela's the heart and soul of the movie. She's the protagonist. It all revolves around her. Yes, but Ricky kind of has equal screen time and he has more dialogue. And I would argue that he is equally the heart of the movie because he's the one who shows more emotion than Angela. Like he's the one that gets angry and upset and sad and angry and upset and sad. And he's the one who who's left to be responsible to take care of his cousin. And it's his best friend, Paul, who falls for Angela and has like the summer teen boy crush on the girl, Angela. Right. So I don't know. That's why I think Ricky is the heart of the movie. I think he's the best character in the movie and no, no offense to the actress who's playing Angela. She does a great job for what she's given to do. But she, again, she barely speaks in the movie. Right. Wait, quick question. Mm. I was just thinking about this with the whole Paul thing. Do you think that she went to the beach with him? Because the way she says, let's go to the beach or whatever is so mechanical. Do you think that she went, that she had in her mind that she was going to kill Paul after she saw him cheating on her with uh, with Judy? So it's possible, question. I think, I, think, I mean, I think, like, Angela's clearly confused. So she went to the beach, and I think the number one thing that she wanted to do, like, her, 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 her his own death was to just reveal herself to Paul and to see how he reacts. But I don't think that she expected him to react in such a negative way, of which we assume he did because he gets killed. But, yeah... I'm not entirely sure if if she had the intention to actually kill Paul because Paul did try he to apologized. apologize twice. Yeah. Like he, you, could, you, know. you could see that in those scenes when Paul was trying to apologize, or he's not trying, he actually did apologize. He clearly meant it. It was sincere. And you can you can tell that he actually he made a mistake. He's human. He fucked up. But you can you could tell that he clearly cares about Angela. So I don't think Angela had the intent of killing Paul when they went to the beach. Well, all I can say is I don't. Simon, it sounds like maybe you're not on board with the Ricky theory. I like the Ricky theory now. I've never. I, I like it. I want to be clear. I like the Ricky theory. I want to buy into it now. And what what sells it for me is the water thing because Angela clearly. I, I, yes, you could say that she was faking her fear of the water, but her fear of the water makes sense given what happened at the beginning of the movie. I don't think she was faking See, it. See, I, I was thinking it was more like, I want to actually talk about my overall thoughts in this movie at, at okay, some point. Yes. But I was thinking it was more like when she's in murder mode, she can do anything. No? But but, okay. but the reason why I also like the, the, the theory is because this movie has been attacked and criticized for being homophobic. And I don't see it because, first of all, when it comes to Angela's dad, right? 
so what we see him in a scene where he's in bed with a man it's not like there's nothing wrong with that like it unless seems like they have think, a good relationship if you, yeah if you think there's something wrong with that then there's something wrong with you right so he's in a relationship with another man we don't know if they're married or just dating but whatever he's in a relationship but they're never portrayed as negative characters mm. is their family life portrayed because it's i don't think their family life is portrayed they seem fine out on the boat no, but it's like the early 80s. Clearly, you know, it's not not everyone's just like running around open, like in an open, like gay relationship with kids. Well, your your audience mm. was going to have a, a, a negative bias, I would imagine. On the whole. Well, hold on, yeah. though. I mean, I think that it's about context, right? Like we like that relationship is only revealed in the context of a montage late late in the film where the music is creepy and we're sort of yeah. we're starting to get the sense oh there's something very wrong with this child and then of course that's when we get the reveal about the backstory i think that's what people are responding to it's not so much the depiction it's about where it it's about where it lands but but simon in that montage they're not portraying them as has being creepy or negative it's about the aunt it's about the fact that okay so her dad was gay and i guess she and well he i mean it's confusing angela saw the dad in bed with the man okay fine but it's really the aunt it's the aunt who's creepy it's the okay aunt but then why include up. it is the question why if it's if it's not about them why is it there i think it just further confuses angela i think that's what it was there for is just confusing sexuality yeah kind of, I, i'm not saying child. look i i'm not out here to say the movie is homophobic or transphobic although i think people who uh, who uh have the trans transphobia issue honestly i think it's completely fair uh, but we'll, we'll, we may or may not want to get into that. But um, I mean, I think that uh, you can have a really interesting time scanning Letterboxd and reading reviews from trans critics because not all of them, like some people have you know, tried to reclaim the movie. Other people uh, are really triggered by it or have a difficult time with it. Um, but I do think the movie's relationship to this stuff is like not necessarily that simple. Um, I think it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's interesting to read about is all I'll but say. The point is the point is she's messed up because of the ant the ant is the cause for her growing up messed up okay so to me it's the ant that's a problem and unless the ant is transgendered which i don't think she is i think she just dresses the way she dresses i think the ant is to blame now and the thing about the end of the movie so this is the weird thing about the end of the movie so angela stands there with that shocking reveal like we get that crazy yeah. horrific image that's burned in your memory and you can never forget it She's standing there naked, holding the decapitated head of Paul. There are two campers that see her, and the girl starts screaming, and the boy says, oh, my God, she's a boy. She's a boy. Like, he's not, not at she's all holding a head. Yeah. She's holding the decapitated <laughs> fucking head. He's shocked at the fact that she has a dick. I mean, I guess you've seen so many murders at that point that, you know, whatever, that was nothing. <laughs> right. I don't think that's, I don't think, I think, I think, first of all, they needed to do that because to be totally honest with you, the first time I watched the movie, I didn't even notice until the dude said, it's a boy, it's a boy. And then I noticed, right? So yeah, you one, might not. I think he needed that for the audience. And number two, if anything, it just shows how uh, society was back. I mean, still is like, I mean, people are still homophobic, but back then, especially like it wasn't, it wasn't like mainstream to have a character like this in a movie, forget about actually meeting someone like this in real life. You know what I mean? It's not something that, that would happen very often. I would, you know, so it yeah. kind of makes sense that this dude would react that way. I, I think the movie kind of has its cake and eats it too, in the sense where like, I think it, to my mind, the, the again, like I said, the, the saving grace of the movie is that it does have so much sympathy for Angela. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think you can, you can fairly say that it is using the shock value of that image as its own thing and kind of like 
I don't know, you could call it exploitative, but also, you know, horror movies are kind of by their very nature exploitative. Uh, so I don't know. I, again, I can see a few different angles on this one. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I just don't tend to look at movies in that regard. I, t- I like to take things at face value. I think the movie, like in a horror movie, the horror of the unknown, when somebody isn't who you think they are, that's what's that can be very scary. Um, I remember there was an Alfred Hitchcock presents episode where there was these murders of nurses. The you know the entire you know episode. It's all these these nurses are getting murdered at night, and then it turns out that one of the 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 nurses is a man dressed up as a woman who has been killing nurses from inside the hospital. It's that and it's the same thing in Psycho, right? Where it's like you've got somebody who you you think they're one thing, but they're not. They're another thing, and that is inherently scary when you are when your perception of the world is not correct, when you've missed something. And th- that's, that's what I take this as. I don't try to read anything deeper into it than that. It was, it's scary. Not, they're not trying to make some statement on transgenders or anything like that. I don't see that right. in this movie. But you can also fairly see how if you were a trans person, it might hit sure. different. Sure. But anybody, every single person could read something into lots of different movies. Like, hey, that's too much like me, you know? <laughs> and, and that's got, and that's negative. Uh, every, anybody can see that, right? Like somebody from, you know, a hillbilly could see a portrayal of a hillbilly and be offended that the hillbilly was a moron murderer, you know, out in the woods. Just that that whole like Dale and Tucker or whatever kind of uh, stereotype. So I don't know. You can see whatever you want to see. And if that's the way you want to watch movies, like go for it. That's not the way that I watch movies. I look for the entertainment value. I mean, you actually do watch movies that way. You just don't know what your biases are necessarily. I mean, sure, but I also try to watch them from more. I, I just like to see how movies actually do their thing, and so I don't. The subject matter, I don't tend to look at or review movies by their subject matter. But uh, I, I think, in order to accuse a movie of being "quote unquote" homophobic, for example, like the director would actually have to have the intention of making it homophobic, and or the movie would have to be homophobic, homophobic because the director did did not just realize that he is homophobic, which right. But in this movie. I don't find it homophobic because first of all, like you said, we sympathize so much for Angela. There is a backstory to explain why she is the way she is. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's walking around dressed as a girl, even though she's supposed to be a boy that she's messed up. She's messed up because of the tragic accident happened to her family. She wasn't raised properly. And her aunt is a psychopath. It's possibly her her cousin, her cousin too. Her aunt seems like she's the kind of Carrie's mom type person, like somebody who probably has verbally abused her or or tortured her, mentally abused her her entire life. (laughs) You know, I have to say, again, I don't quite agree with Ricky on this because I think that, uh, yes, clearly it all all was instigated by the aunt, but clearly the day-to-day of having to parade around as a gender you don't, you, 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 you know, you don't feel that you are or like, you know, that is not in line with your mental presentation or whatever. Uh, it creates social problems that would be very traumatizing, and it happens to Angela throughout the whole movie. Uh, so I, I think it's know, I think it's both things. But we don't know how Angela feels about herself, about the fact that she is now walking around dressed like a girl. We don't know how she identifies as herself. Like no, but we do know that she's traumatized and doesn't talk for half an hour, and and just has a difficult time relating to people. Yeah, not comfortable around people at all knows that she shouldn't take a shower with the rest of the girls. Like, but this is why I'm trying to explain why I like the Ricky theory, because the Ricky theory puts Ricky and Angela in the same camp in the sense that they are both killers. So Ricky, like, I mean, for all, like from what we know, Ricky isn't transgendered and or gay, but he's also a killer. That's why I like the Ricky, the Ricky theory, because 
it, it stops the movie from being just another movie about let's make the person who's transgendered be the killer. You yeah, no, I, 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 I get you. Yeah. Okay, but, but I, I do agree with you. Like, I have no problem in someone having a problem thinking that the movie's homophobic. I just disagree with them. I think really the transphobia is more what people see in it now. And I will say, I thought it was interesting. I, I watched this on Shutter, and in the long description on Shutter, they actually do mention the shocking that the that the ending is shocking and problematic. It's right there in the description. So clearly, it's uh, it's part of the narrative around the movie. Richard Angela. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me, hmm? Any chips? Why, of course. I believe there's a whole bag. Well, I'm almost sure of it. Angela, isn't there anything special my little girl would care for? Hmm? We gotta go, Mom. It's getting late. Why, of course you do, dear. We wouldn't want them to leave without us, now would we? No? No, I'm afraid that that wouldn't do. Come, children, let's be on our way. What's, what's really interesting is that when the movie starts, and I remember the first time I watched the movie, I, I spotted this right away. Mm. So when Angela's family is killed in the boating accident, they clearly show a shot of the dad who i believe is decapitated because the boat just like hits his head and then we get a shot of the two kids and we mm -hmm. see the girl gets hit by the boat but we never see the boy get hit by the boat in fact we see the boy is 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 swimming in the background so yeah. when i was watching a movie and the movie start and then it transitions to the next scene and we get angela i was like wait a minute wasn't it the boy that survived? Like right away, I spotted that from the very first time I watched the movie. Because mm. it's clear as day. If you watch the opening of the film, it's clear as day that the boy survives, not the girl. But then well, we transition into the scene in which we get introduced to Martha, Ricky, and quote unquote Angela. I, I will say this. The first time I watched the movie, I did not catch that. So I, I, I think like the clue is there for you. And and some people are gonna see and some people did not. But I was totally I totally, you know, bought in on the girl i just didn't think about it because the girl shows up so she must yeah. have been the one that survived so i wasn't really it wasn't it, it was clever filmmaking i would say in a sense that yes you can see that the boy is there and the second time i, I definitely did see that um but you know the first time i just went with the flow and ricky's thankfully they're smart enough to bring up ricky's name so that you actually can relate like who is this other kid because i think during the conversation with the dad on the sailboat at one point they say it was ricky coming Mm, yeah cousin ricky or something um another smart another smart thing yeah they clearly say that they are waiting for cousin ricky so you know but, when ricky gets, gets introduced it's not the boy from the accident so i know we don't have like a ton of time before we have to go to break but one of the things that i wanted uh i wanted to see what you guys think about this like i find this movie so funny i know we've talked about some of the yes. more serious aspects of it but i think everything in this movie is so extreme and funny from the muscle bound counselor who's awesome by the way like he plays against type you'd think he'd be the jock dick but in fact he's probably the most sensitive one yeah in yeah camp but he's just like super ripped to everybody being the bitchiest or assholiest, like most like rapiest person yes. he could be. Yeah, everyone's pushed to eleven for sure. Well, Robert uh, well, Earl Jones is pretty awesome in the movie. He plays Ben, who's one of the uh, the the. I guess he's a cook, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
he works under the the, the molester yeah yeah, yeah, but I, th- I think what's most problematic about the movie is how in the movie, the adults are all, or not all, but at least Artie is clearly a pedophile, uh, but everyone else everyone else turns a blind eye and or is okay with him, like, liking young girls. Like, I mean, Ben clearly says, he's like, ha, 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 I think what you're thinking, they don't even know what you're oh, thinking. Oh, that whole exchange, God. That was just like... Oh my God! See, I, I, I don't know if the see, I don't call that stuff problematic because it's, it's no, that's that stuff's funny. It's it's hilarious because it's so bad, and even back then, audi- it's not like audiences no, were I mean, okay with that. Problematic in real life, then. not problematic yeah. in the movie. Problematic in real life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh God. This, it would yeah. make you terrified of going to a summer camp, but maybe that's the whole reason something like that is in there, like to make parents like, oh, I'm not sending my kid to one of those things. Uh, I, before we go to break, I want to quickly tell the story of uh, my memory of, of watching this film for the first time, uh, which is I was in high school. My friends and I rented a lot of bad uh, and good horror movies, mostly on VHS. Uh, there was a lot of good record stores in Halifax at the time, or uh, video stores in Halifax at the time. Now there's like two, maybe. Uh, and um, I remember I was also a fan of, uh, of a screamo act called The Blood Brothers, who I still listen to. Shout out to Jordan Bliley and Johnny Whitney of The Blood Brothers. Anyway. They had a song on one of the, on a concept album, and the song was called "Meet Me at the Waterfront After the Social," and I never knew that it was from anything. So my friends and I were watching this movie, and when she says "Meet Me at the Waterfront After the Social," we freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those one of those beautiful uh, movie watching moments that you cannot uh, cannot buy. It's it's crazy the cult following this movie has. Like it it's. Like, you know, like, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and Nightmare on Elm Street are clearly the three big slasher film franchises from the 80s. But this movie, I think, impacted audiences more so than those films. It's also better than most of them, honestly. I wouldn't say it's better than the first Nightmare on Elm Street. No, no, but, like, most of the other, yeah. Friday, I I mean, I'm not a big, the biggest fan of Friday the 13th, the first film. I think it's okay. But, 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 like, the making and the history of this movie is pretty interesting because the the director he he came up with the concept while studying at film school right so he had the idea of making a slasher film especially because slasher films were really hot at the time and he's like let's make it at a summer camp it's a great setting i've been to summer camp and it's a it's a great place to make a movie for cheap because you basically just need the summer camp and it's not too hard to get your hands on a summer camp because if you film it in the fall of which they did the kids are no longer at the summer camp the summer camp's vacant and you have an entire set to shoot a movie at right but he actually was able to make the movie because the poor guy his mom died she was killed in some kind of tragic accident and he got three hundred thousand dollars in in a settlement from a lawsuit it was murder right <laughs> so he used the three hundred thousand dollars that he got from his mom's accidental murder and use that to make the movie. And that's why the movie is dedicated to his mom, because you clearly see it's dedicated she was a to doer. his mom at the beginning of the film. Yeah, I'm and... sensing a little bit of Norman Bates dedication to mother going on it, here. But it's just like it's 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 so it's like, hey mom, I'm gonna take the money from you know you dying. You dying, and I'm gonna make a movie. <laughs> gonna and make this, this controversial, movie. <laughs> controversial ending. This is my my tribute. <laughs> yeah, and what what else is weird about it? Was is his that... mother's name Martha? No. <laughs> but the other weird thing about it is okay. So clearly he he stopped. He, he got he got away from the film business business. Like he helped write the, the the sequels, but he didn't like the sequels are not good, and he hates them, and so he just decided to like 
move away from the film business, never make a movie again. Although there are rumors that he still wants to do a remake reboot. But the weird thing too, is that I'm not entirely sure. And I'm pretty sure he didn't actually inform the parents about say, for example, the ending or like maybe even some of the murder sequences because like, Felisa Rose, her mom, if her mom wouldn't allow her to be the hand of a murder scene, like just to hold a knife, right? How would she let her be in a movie when she's playing a character like Angela? <laughs> like, imagine the, can you imagine the parents watching the movie for the first time, how they would react? There's no way they knew what kind of character Angela was playing. I I don't know. I mean, they, they, they obviously knew she was the murderer. That's why they wouldn't let her use her hands. So I guess if you're letting your kid play a murderer, then maybe you're, I don't know. I don't know. Because I was, when I first watched the movie, I swear to God, call me stupid, but I thought that the character, the actor that was playing Angela was actually a dude that they just dressed up as a girl. Like, because I was like, because at the end, like you see her like naked, right? I didn't realize that there was actually some kind of like weird prosthetics for, via optical illusion, via yeah. like some kind of special effect where they hired a teenage boy, paid him like $200 to stand there naked, and then they used his body and, and somehow face, superimposed presumably. her yeah. head over his body. I actually thought, no, they just hired a girl to play, a boy to play the girl or whatever. I, I just, it was, it confused me. It is a, it is a, uh, incredibly, uh, compelling and uh, memorable, and I mean, you that that ending, regardless of how you feel about it, is burned in, into your mental retina forever. Like I hadn't watched this movie in probably fifteen years, and I remembered exactly what the ending was. I think that's why part of the reason the movie is so compelling because this the the stuff that it's trying on, uh, regardless of whether it does it in the most like prudent way or whatever, was so beyond the pale for the time period that it, it it can't help but make the whole thing like sociologically fascinating. And I think it's such a, um, we're going to get to all this soon, but um, I, I think the way that it ties in with, with the film's tone, which is uh, to my mind, very close to De Palma's carry in the way that it oscillates between like really kind of quite innocent teen melodrama. Uh, and then, you know, with the kills and the more shocking stuff. Um, I don't know. I just think that, that there is only one sleepaway camp. Like I know there are sequels. I haven't seen them, but the, the, you know, it's a totally unique film and you got to give it credit for that. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Palma because there's a lot of movies that came out around that time. And even at the late seventies where there was a man dressed like a woman or a transgender character or whatever, that was like a killer and dressed to you know, kill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there were like underground films clearly where you would actually see two men in the same bed, but, I don't remember any mainstream movie prior to Sleepaway Camp, because this is technically a mainstream movie. It was actually a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. number one at the box office, where you actually get a, a, a shot, a scene where two men, two gay men are in bed at the same time. Just like having a chill time, yeah. Uh, anyway, we should we should go to break, but that's Patrick's job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, uh, let, let us take a break and hear a clip from Sleepaway Camp. Uh, when we come back, we will do our five questions. That's all there is to it. Finished. Wiped out. How many are left? Let's say about 25. Might as well pack everything and shut down. Nobody's ever going to send their kids here again. Why not finish out the summer, Mel? Tomorrow I'll consolidate the bunks. There's no sense in keeping everyone spread out. Yeah. Why make things easier for the killer? Hey, don't talk like that. We don't know anything for sure yet. I know. I've known all along. I've seen the hate in his eyes. But I never did anything. Now I'll stop him for what he's done to me. I'll... 
stop him. Snap out of it, will you, Mel? You're talking crazy. Huh? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe. All right, that was another clip from Sleepaway Camp. We've reached the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. Uh, we're going to start off. We always start off positive. We always start off with the same question. Uh, we're going to go with Simon first, though. Simon, what is your favorite scene from Sleepaway Camp? I almost call it Slayaway Camp, Rick, which is a video game that was sort of spoofing Sleepaway Camp. But Sleepaway Camp, what's your favorite uh, scene? It's hard not to pick the ending because that's what people remember it for. But you know what? I'm actually going to go for the... Um, uh, I, I kind of want to go for the baseball game <laughs> for some reason. Just why is it there? Because <laughs> why is it there? Like it, it's not just that it's there. It's that like you know when you think it's ending, like you you see them play like a couple of a couple of pitches, and it's like whatever, and then it you know uh, crossfade to next part of the baseball game, and then a crossfade to the next part of the baseball game, <laughs> yeah, and I and I, I get that it's it, you know it's doing some character building stuff, it's doing some relationship building. I get that, but. I just it, it it's emblematic to me of what I love about this movie, which is that its rhythm is so good. Uh, it has these it's it has this mathematical rhythm of like X that this amount of stretch of of kids just being kids and then horrific murder, and the pace of that slightly accelerates over the course of the film. And the baseball sequence is is the movie at its most just kids being kids at a summer camp. And I think the movie is actually really good at that. Um, because the kids are are generally like likable or 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 like enjoyably extreme. The performances are mostly quite natural, except for the ones that are quite extreme. Um, and uh, and you you sort of t- we're talking about this earlier, Patrick. But I love how all the kids are like. There's such a a a uh, a dichotomy between the older kids and the younger kids. There seems to be no one in between. And like the body types and the outfits. Uh, are all like just so specific and all over the place in such an enjoyable way. And that sequence really shows off a lot of that non-horror stuff, which is what I really value about the movie. That's funny that you brought up how the kids are all like different shapes and sizes and dressed. I, I noticed the same thing too. And it's very refreshing because it seemed real. Everything yeah. Cause about- nowadays, nowadays with these kids, <laughs> these days they're making, you know, whenever you see a horror movie now, all the kids are first of all, first of all, you've got adults playing kids most of the time, which is yeah. not, not so much the case here. Although I'm sure there's a bit of that. There was um, some of it. There's, they're mostly the bullies relatively... are definitely on the older side. Yeah, sure, but yeah, the kids are all pretty much age appropriate, which is neat. And they also, they're not like you know, notably like I don't know. I, there's no weird. There's no. There's no way to put this. Is not weird. They're not like hot kids or whatever. They're just like they're kind of just like a motley crew of kids and teenagers, and uh, I like that. No, they don't look like they were handpicked by casting in order to be as like appealing as possible to an audience. You know, they don't look focus grouped. They just look no, like a bunch yeah. of kids that showed up to camp. They did not have the budget for focus grouping. <laughs> and it's and it's great because you're right. Those kids all seem to all act with each other. There's no none of the melodrama that you might see, like teenage angst and melodrama. There's just the way the kids interact. They seem like kids some of the time. and They, they, they seem halfway between kid and adult. Yeah, uh, they're, they're trying to do some adult things. And they don't really know how. They're super awkward at it, and some of them are super creepy at it and rapey. Uh, and then there are just like messing around, like they do with Mozart, putting the shaving cream on the hand and running around chasing each other with a knife. <laughs> like that's that's something the kids would do. Uh, and I like the way the counselors react to the kids for the most part. Uh, they do it. They do a pretty good job. Like they're they're shown to be you know twenty somethings who probably still have a little bit of that kid in them, or maybe you know older teens. 
who still have a little bit of that in them, but are starting to get it more on the mature side. Yeah, everything about that. Uh, the baseball scene is hilarious just for all the trash talking, I think. It's yes. Softball, really. It's not baseball, but yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's Eat trash shit talking. and live. Good, <laughs> good line. Good line. It's so bad, but in a good way. Um, all right, Rick, what is your favorite scene? Look, I mean, the best scene in the film, the most iconic scene, is the ending. And I think I'm just going to have to choose the ending because the fact that this is actually a special effect, like, I had no idea that they actually took her head, an image of her head and her expression, and superimposed it with some kind of optical illusion over some boy's body. But it's also the way the scene is constructed. Like, I like the way the camera dollies out and then, you know, slowly reveals that Angela is actually a boy. And then you have the shot reverse shot and you get the, the, the expression of the two camp counselors that are in mm-hmm. just in complete shock. And then we get that crazy freeze frame and the movie just ends. And you're like, what the fuck? The movie just ends like that? It's such a great way to end the movie. It clearly made a huge impression on a gazillion moviegoers and horror yes. movie buffs. You know, it's it's one of and the filmmakers. Great. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I know Hitchcock or Psycho and the Palma's done movies like this where they had like transgendered killers and the big, huge twist ending and Dario Argento's done it. But Sleepaway Camp, I think, is the movie that has the ending that everyone talks about the most when it comes to like twist endings from horror films. It's it's like one of the all time greats. Like there's been a lot of great like twist endings, but Sleepaway Camp is the one where everyone's like, it's like it's like the ending itself is more famous than the actual movie as a whole, which is not necessarily always a good thing. But I still do think that the movie is is, is great leading up to that big reveal. And I think uh, it's the uh, we, we we had a, a chat earlier about not to go on too long when we just agree, but I would I would just add to that. Um, People remember the freeze frame most of all because obviously, but the whole run up to that, the build up with the slow, slowly approaching uh, Angela as she's uh, naked on the beach, hunched over what seems to be a perfectly fine uh, Paul, <laughs> <laughs> or possibly even a, a dreamy Paul. Perhaps even they're having a nice moment, mm-hmm. uh, and then the the slowly the the slowly mounting horror building to that freeze frame movie and, and then the sort of color shift for the credits and movie over oh and before thing. before that we get the head falls to the ground a close-up and yes. then cut to her screaming and it's her it's her expression like it's angela sells it right because mm-hmm. no matter how good your special effects are the expression on felisa rose's face her mouth wide open her eyes wide open like she doesn't look human at that point in time. She looks like a werewolf, to be honest. That's what I was thinking. She looks like an animal. It, it's, it is one of the best horror. Like, uh, I think about Cheryl Lee in uh, Twin Peaks Far Walk With Me or whatever. When I think about like like her, her, like moments of horrific performance or whatever, like I think about Cheryl Lee's screams and I think about Felissa Rose's expression. Yeah, it's the it's it's the perfect expression. Like that's your cover for your your video, you know cassette box right there uh obviously you don't want to give the ending away but man what a great cover that would make it's yeah it's an iconic image no question uh i gotta go with there's so many scenes that i really really like and we haven't even talked about how great and graphic and gross some of the murders are like getting boiled boiled flesh and stuff but i'm gonna go with uh i like the nighttime and i cannot remember the name of the kid it and maybe Rick, you you remember this kid the the one that like they make fun of 
Angela at the dance, and then they go down to the, do the skinny dipping, and he goes out in the canoe with that one girl. Yeah, yeah. I like that whole sequence and the the way the killer kind of sneaks up and underneath the canoe. I kind of thought about it. At first, I when I first saw the movie, I was confused as to why the kid went under the canoe in the first place. But then the more I thought about like, that's just sort of the thing a kid would do. Yeah. Like, I, I'm out here by myself. Uh, I'll just act like I'm, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things you just sort of do. And I like the way that all goes, the way that all builds up, the way that the, the girls react to the, the guys going skinny dipping, the bizarre reason, that, like the guys just go anyway. And <laughs> I want to, I, I want to quickly add Patrick that you, yes, it's a good scene. And also you point out something that I wanted to mention, which is that the writing for the kids is really good in the sense that the way they act out and the stupid shit they do, and not the, the wide variety of it too, not just the pranks, but the reveal that Mel, ha, uh, that Meg has the hots for Mel. Yes. And it's like, yeah, actually that is kind of the, the sort of silly thing that like a, like a, some, like a 20 something or whatever would get up to. It'd be like, oh, I want to try out an older dude. And of course Mel's excited about it, but the way that's, that's revealed is just like, of course. And it feels so natural. I thought that whole interaction was really fun. And I liked him going out there and like pranking that girl and her, her kind of sensing it was going to happen the entire time and then getting pissed and swimming away. I just liked the whole progression of the scene. And it, it, the first time I saw it, it kind of surprised me because I wasn't sure exactly. I knew he was going to bite it in the, in the lake there. Like that was obviously going to happen, but it's the sort of the rest of the interactions that were surprising to me. They could have gone in very much more cliched ways than they did. And I feel like that, represents this movie as a whole i think you can watch this and be surprised and but also have the whole thing make sense as to how the kids sort of act and what decisions they actually make uh it doesn't feel like it's just super cookie cutter i wouldn't call this like a masterfully constructed movie or anything like that but i do feel like uh it it, it it's not cliche the entire time even though it is a summer camp slasher movie uh, the the kills aren't cliche. We talked about the bee, you know, the beehive. Like, <laughs> I don't remember ever seeing anything like that in the movie before. Well, so there's a lot of girl. Stuff in... Oh, but that came later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but in a lot of slasher films at the time, the killer was just this unknown figure. It was like you know, it's Jason the Voorhees shape. or yeah. his yeah. mom or Michael Myers or the shape or the driller killer. It's like the mechanic, the guy you never see on screen. In this movie, the killer is actually one of the main characters who you sympathize with, and there's a backstory. Or both the main characters. But, <laughs> but by the way, Patrick, you uh, you you missed out on my favorite detail of the boat murder, which is that that they're doing all those jokes about uh, oh, there's snapping turtles and water snakes, and then they fucking have an actual water snake it's coming out of his out head. Of Come out of his on, mouth. his mouth. Now, was that a prosthetic head? There's no way that it's got to be. Yeah, 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 prosthetic yeah, head, no real way. snake. Yeah, but great prosthetic, by the way, because I was looking at the thing. I was like, that looks really like that good. kid's face. The Fantastic the practical job. effects are really good in this movie. They, they yes. basically have to have the actor stand still while they construct a uh, a clay version of his mask, right? I don't know what the actual terminology is. And then they can take that, and then they can have the snake go through it, and they can superimpose it. But I mean, the actor would have to stand there for God knows how long for them to get the the, the perfect like recreation of his face. Oh, it was it was a brilliant job. I was I was looking. I rewound it. I was trying to tell like. Is that a prosthetic? I don't know. Or is that just a lot of makeup that looks that makes the skin look like that? Uh, we're, the... God, worth the risk of going along. But I, I have to say another nice thing about this movie, which is that it hides its power level with respect to how violent it's willing to get really, really well. Because the opening sequence is really tame. 
Oh yeah. And then very slow. And then it, it, it kind of slowly seems like, okay, it's not that bad, but then we're lingering on that guy's burnt face for a really long time. And then we're really awfully close to that kid's <laughs> dead skull with a fucking snake coming out of it. And then of course the ending, I love the way that ramps up. Yeah. I, that, that guy, not only are we lingering on his face and his arms, but he's screaming the entire time and it goes on uncomfortably long. There's it's a lot of screaming going, in this movie. Ah! For like a good <laughs> a minute long, at least. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty good stuff. All right. So, um, if there was one thing you could change about this film, what would it be, Simon? Oh, what would I change about Sleepaway Camp? Uh, not a lot. I mean, even though it's weird, it, it's I don't think it's a perfect movie, and yet I don't think there's anything about it that I would change because it's just so. Yeah. No, I'm skipping this quite. I'm not changing anything about Sleepaway Camp. Oh, I would. Are you kidding me? I would change okay. something. And I would change something that the director wants to change. He regrets doing it. Towards the end of the film, there's a bunch of campers who are murdered for no reason. The kids. Oh, yeah. No they, get, they get hacked to death. Yeah, it, they make no sense why those kids are killed. It, it, it makes no sense. Even with the Ricky theory, the idea of having two killers, it makes no sense that those kids would get killed. Mm -mm. Because they're, 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 they didn't do anything. None of those kids were ever part of the groups that, that tormented Ricky or Angela, right? But kids are annoying sometimes. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I mean, you thought, if anything, you would have taken out, I don't know, there had to be somebody else. Like, why would Ricky or Angela, well, Angela wasn't even around those kids, yeah. really. I mean, it doesn't, like, I. it doesn't really I make sense. Eat up. It doesn't really make up. sense, but it does add to the general terror of the last 20 minutes, so I don't really mind it. You know, the the one thing is that the way it's shot, too, and, you know, this would be another reason to maybe take it out, because it's, it's unclear. You know, what I, I, when I first saw the movie, I thought the kids were playing a prank on the guy. Mm. Because they're shot from so far away, you can't really see any of the, the gruesomeness. Which I get, because they're kids, and you don't necessarily want to show gruesome kid deaths, even though they do show a severed head of, like, a 14, 50-year-old man. Um, yeah, I wasn't really, I was like... I was expecting any moment they were going to rise up either while the guy was there or then when the guy left, I still, there's another shot of the sleeping bags and I still thought they were all going to get up and start giggling or something like, ah, oh. there's a killer on the loose, but we're playing a prank on her. Uh, you know what? I've thought of something I would change. Something I'd add. I want a little bit more of Mike Kellen as Mel, uh, because I feel like he is the protagonist of his own movie, uh, <laughs> that is going on behind the scenes of this movie. And we only get like snapshots of it. And, uh, He's the only guy in the cast who actually did have a bit of a CV. Uh, and I don't know. I just fi I find him really funny to watch in this movie. He is one hideous looking man. Sorry. <laughs> apologies to the, the family. But that he's got, is a, he's got quite a mug. That is a face right there. <laughs> and the way classic, he classic character actor mug. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's like a, he's like a character out of a Cassavetes movie or something. I was going to say he's right for parody in a Bugs Bunny cartoon because Boy, could you draw a caricature of that guy? Uh, he, he might not even be as good as the real thing. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to, to think about what I would change. This is a movie filled with so many little things that all add up to something really, really charming. Little yeah. mistakes that just add up to a lot of charm. And I, I don't know that I want to take away from a whole lot of that. Um, I can see the sleeping bag thing, Rick. That's that's a good thing that I completely forgot about. But as soon as you said it. Yeah, it's a good call. Um, that's those are shots, but otherwise, I I kind of like all the little flaws in this movie. And there's I don't I don't remember a scene that I you know thought needed to go for some reason. Um, all right, so well, let's move on from that one then. Uh, Rick, your MVP of this film. 
I first just have to give a big shout out to the fashion because I honest to God love yes. the look of the movie. <laughs> I am a big, huge fan of Adidas, especially Adidas clothes from the 70s, the short shorts, the short jean shorts, the, the um, high socks, the high socks. I love the way they dress in a movie. I'm not even joking. I think I don't know if it was done on purpose or if these kids actually have really good fashion sense. But every single kid in this movie looks amazing, especially the colors. Like, it's very bright. They clearly didn't have the best film equipment. It was a low-budget film. But everyone just pops. And everyone has, like, these great outfits. I just freaking love it. My favorite character, again, Ricky, is by far the best dressed in the entire film. (laughs) There's... I love the way he dresses. There's one shot where he's wearing these like low cut off blue jeans with that beautiful like yellow white uh, shirt. And there's like one time where he's wearing a cowboy hat and he's wearing a Converse shirt. Everything about his kicks and the way he, like his baseball outfit, like love, love, love the fashion in this movie. Way better than Friday the 13th or Halloween or any of those other movies. Like it's like they actually had someone to put actual thought in how these people should dress. Anyways, yeah. the VIP it's MVP, I mean. The MVP for me is clearly Jonathan Kirsten, who plays Ricky. Because once again, I think he's the heart of the film. I think he shows the most uh, emotion. He has the, 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 the as an actor, he has to hit specific beats and have such a like um, a range of like emotions that he has to portray and show. I think that uh, he brings the movie to life. He's energetic. He's electric. When he's on screen, he's the character who's the link between the three other main characters, uh, Angela, Judy, and Paul, because he used to have a thing, a summer fling, or he used to date Judy, and he still has a thing for Judy, who sort of is now trying to chase Paul, and Paul has a thing for Angela, and Ricky is the one who, who who's in the center of all of these, like, three characters. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think Ricky is by far the best, the best actor and character in his film. I really, really think he is. Um... Simon, what about yours? Who's your MVP? It's got to be Felissa Rose for one reason and one reason only. And uh, Patrick, you already said this. If it wasn't for that face that she's making at the end of the movie, we would not be talking about this movie today, period. Like, we, it's, it would still be a good movie, don't get me wrong, with a different performance. Um, and it would still be, like, noteworthy in the annals of slasher history. But if it wasn't for her performance... And her, or really even just her casting. I mean, yes, there is, there are performance aspects, but uh, if, if, it, if it wasn't for, for her uh, striking facial features and the way that she uses them and the way she was directed to use them, I guess, um, it would be not, it wouldn't be quite as memorable as it is. So I got to give it to her. Well, you know, when you talk about the casting, it was the director who chose her and he wanted her to just stand there wide-eyed and it was all about her facial expression so that is mm-hmm. why he cast her he did not care about how she delivered dialogue or if she was a good actor it was all about her her facial expressions yeah so i'm gonna go with the uh, the director writer director in this one but not for the reasons that i normally do because i don't think his filmmaking chops are exceptional like as far as i i, I not watching the movie and thinking like oh the camera placement's great or the editing is just crisp but what he masters, what I think makes this movie so enjoyable for me, is that that he masters tone throughout the entire movie. Uh, mm. He's able to juggle back and forth between sort of a, like you said, Simon, sort of a light, breezy, innocent moments with then more gruesome murders, and it works. And there's a skill in that that uh, that so many people don't possess. So many people have tried to make movies like that that sort of juggle humor. And, you know, fun, and then also grisly murders, and they cannot get it right. 
But I think this movie does get it right. It handles a very, it's a very even flow to how these things go on. It's There's never any jarring moments where I was like, whoa, that didn't quite mesh. Uh, everything seems to kind of fit with the vibe that the movie's giving off right from the very beginning. There's sort of a little bit of dreaminess to it, which is also good too. So it almost seems like maybe some of it's not quite reality. But um, yeah, I, I I can't watch the movie and think like this guy's a master filmmaker. He's not like he doesn't stage his scenes in an incredible way, not like some other directors that we've talked about. But man, did he nail the tone on this? And that there is a, a skill in that that uh, that I admire. The, the the thing I really want to praise him for, um, is, especially as the screenplay writer, is that the pacing and length is perfect. Mm-hmm. It is it's it like is a not ninety some minute it, movie. It's like eighty five minutes long. That's and it does have credits and uh, like I said the pay, the 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 space between the stuff that actually happens is perfect and there is no part of this movie where I thought this section is going on too long mm-hmm. even the stuff that you think might go on too long like the baseball game is actually just charming it is like you're gonna think why is this in here so much why are they concentrating on this baseball game but it all works with the flow of the camp there's there's lots of things in the camp that have nothing to do with plot the the barbasol yeah. shaving cream thing and the chasing around with the knife even though it does set up the knife later on which is clever there are things that are set up in the baseball game too that pay off later as well it just it's got its own kind of flow that i really really like you know i'm actually going to slightly disagree like i don't think the movie uh. pops or has has well staged or doesn't have like the flair of like nightmare on elm street for someone who's straight out of film school, not working with any professionals, like look at who he worked with. None of these people went on to do anything in the, in, in the movie biz. So he did a really amazing job. Like he had some like pretty challenging kill sequences that he had to figure out how to shoot in terms of like, you know, the practical effects, the camera shots, the camera placement. And I think it's actually, honest to God, a better looking film than Friday the 13th, which was made by professionals. I have to counter-correct you very quickly, Ricky, just only because one of the editors, Sharon Ross, uh, Sharon L. Ross, I should say, did go on to have a pretty decent editing career. Also got her start before this, editing the movie Liquid Sky. Okay, one editor, <laughs> that's post-production, but I'm talking about actually filming no, yeah, the movie. No, I get, I get Like, on-set filming the movie. Yeah. Because once, I mean, you, get to, anyway, once you get to post-production, if, you're, if your film doesn't look good or if something's messed up, there's nothing that the editor can do to, to save it. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could try, but no, uh, he did a good job. I just, like I say, I, you and your Friday the 13th point, of course, is, is well taken. Like, yes, I do think this is a better looking movie than that movie, or at least it's better assembled than that. Movie. It has a better tagline, a better, uh, better artwork for the DVD, better poster, better, better name for the movie, better. It makes better use of the setting of the summer camp and has better kill sequences, more innovative kill sequences. It, it uses the camera better in terms of how the camera actually dollies and moves and his uh, his use of zooms and differential focus. He does a lot of things, even using shadows on the wall. I mean, not not like in, in the sense of like Brian De Palma, like a master of making mm-hmm. these scenes no. are just like so beautiful to watch. But like, no. you know, again, for a first time low budget slasher film, he did a good job. It's yeah. fine. He's not Sam Raimi. He's not like some sort of auteur, you know, no, or no, video, no. What, maestro or whatever, right? He, he's, he did a good job. Like I say, I think he did a great job at, at managing the tone for this. I think he nailed it on yeah. that, which is why this movie is so enjoyable. It's just so much fun to watch this movie. The, the, there's an almost 1950s camp, campy, ha, campy charm to like the way he stages some things also. Like the, 
in the sequence with the hair curler, which really is the most, if you think about it, the most horrible and graphic thing that happens in this movie in concept. Um, yes. The actual execution is is straight out of like 1955 with like the 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 hands that the shadow of the hands on the wall just like trembling. You know, it's very. It, it's old got school. a Hirsch and Gordon Lewis feel. Yes. To it. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Except without the buckets of gore, of course. <laughs> they use that all on the faces of the of the victims. Great yeah. face makeup in the in the gore here. Uh, gross, grosser movie than a lot of other slasher movies from that time in the in the makeup sense, anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the Howard Hawks test. I don't know <laughs> that people have normally applied it to a movie like Sleepaway Camp, but we're going to. Uh, all right, uh, three great scenes, no bad ones. That's what we're calling that the a great movie by Howard Hawks. Simon, three great scenes, great and no bad ones. Uh, no, I don't think I don't think the Howard Hawks test is meant for this movie. I mean, it has a couple of uh, really only really only the ending you can call iconic, um, and other scenes that are like pretty good. But no, great scenes, nah. Bad scenes, not really. Um, at least I don't think so. So, Rick, what about you? I don't know if there's bad scenes for this type of film. Some people can say problematic scenes. I would remove the sequence that I mentioned earlier when the kids are, well, we don't actually see them killed on screen, but we see it or dead bodies. No, it's pretty quick. I don't yeah. think it's an actual scene. So I wouldn't call it a bad scene. No. Does it have a couple three shots, great scenes all. though? Three great scenes. I would say no. I think it has one great scene, which is the end. If anything, it passes the M night test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you guys. So, like, there's nothing much more to say on that. There's there's no bad scenes in the movie. Like, this thing we discussed that it's a flawed movie that flaws are net positive, really. Wait, hold on. Is the M. Night test just doesn't shit the bed in the last five minutes? <laughs> the M. Night test is I'm making a movie with an idea for a twist ending, and then somehow I pull it off, even though, like, Oh, I get you. Yeah, starting starting the from the ending. ending. Yeah, starting yeah. from the twist, yeah. And it is a twist that does make you rewatch the movie in a different way. Absolutely. So, um, that's a good twist. Okay, so uh, we're going to go with that. We talked a little bit about changing up this question at the end. And because we didn't go get too much into the actual slasher part of this movie in our conversation, best kill, favorite kill. That, that's what I'm going to go with. Favorite kill from this movie, from Sleepaway Camp. Simon. Um, I'm going to have to go with the one you cited, uh, Patrick. Not so much for the method of kill, which is just drowning. Zed, I sleep. Uh, but for the aftermath and the staging of it, I thought that was honestly... it's There's a level of execution there, literally, that you're just not expecting. And uh, just shout out to them for that. I'm going to shout out to your execution pun. Um yeah, it's a it's a fun that's a that's a fun one, and then also just sort of the discovery of the body is great too, with the guy that's complaining about having to clean the entire place up after the kids wrecked it, and yeah. Uh, Rick, what about you? What's your favorite kill? I actually think my favorite kill is when they kill Mel with the bow and oh, arrow because it's so unexpected and happened so quick and. You know, one thing I always hate, Patrick, and I've said this many times on podcasts, I hate it when slasher films use guns. I find gunplay is such a cop-out in a slasher film. And that's my main issue with the original Scream film, like the ending. It's all It all revolves around guns, which I think is stupid. This movie, they find cool ways. Like, I mean, I don't know, like maybe they just happen to have a bow and arrow on set for some reason. But if not, they had to actually think of like, no, we're going to kill this dude with a bow and arrow. And we're going to have to go 
out and buy a bow and arrow. We're going to have to find a way to actually kill the guy with a bow and arrow without digital effects. And it's a it's great really effect, well. too, yeah. by the way. Also, it should be mentioned that Mike Kellen, um, who plays Mel, it was his very last movie. He was actually very, very, very sick while filming the movie. Oh. He had cancer. He didn't want anyone to know he had cancer, so he kept it secret. And he asked to be put out of his misery with an arrow. That was not an effect. You know what? <laughs> yeah, that was. Actually, there's actually just a murder in this movie. I got to admire the guy's dedication. Uh, no, that's a, that's a really cool one. I'm gonna go with the boiling water on top of the. As far as my actual favorite death, <laughs> first of all, that they started off with the right guy, right? The right guy to kill. Yes. Because yeah, we got to get rid little... of this guy immediately. It's a little queasy, you know, when when people when sort of innocent people start dying. Uh, no, they 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 kind of make you sympathize with the killer immediately because this guy deserves it. No, he so... literally had like a close up where he's licking his lips. Yeah, because, because yes. these tender young young fleshlings are in front of him. Like he's got to go. Oh, it was it, the guy is just disgusting. Like he's unbuckling his pants. It it it, go, it goes to that like uncomfortable place really quickly. So yeah, him getting boiling water poured on top of him. I mean, the whole scene is hilarious, by the way, because he's just standing on a step stool and he could easily just step right off. Like, it wouldn't matter if some kid was shaking the step stool. He could just hop right off. It's ridiculous to think that this accident would ever happen in a million years. But it doesn't matter because the aftermath of the boiling, I love the flesh. The, what they did to his flesh on his arms and on his face, the way it's sort of bubbling and blistered, like, it looks so great. Uh, and the scream, and I love the scream. How he's just get carried out of there, and the guy just keeps the the doctor just keeps going. He must be in a lot of pain. Oh, I can't even imagine the pain he's in. Having <laughs> 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 to explain to us that he's in a lot of pain, as if the screams didn't uh, didn't, didn't. Maybe it's because he doesn't actually die. I guess like, that's not really. It's sort of a cheat because it's not. Oh, really that's right. It's not even a kill. So your your answer is invalid. Yeah, <laughs> but but he could have died of the burns afterwards. We don't that's know. True. Or he could have, you know, maybe it drove him insane and he, and he committed suicide or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, well, on that note, <laughs> we should probably wrap things up here. Um, Sleepy with Camp is great. People should check it out. Yes. Si- Simon, um, you're still not online. I'm not online, but I can announce our next movie when we're done, when we're at the end of this episode. Oh, perfect. Which, we, which will be a new, uh, uh, you, we haven't even talked about this yet. Oh my God, I can't wait to, uh, this, this should be good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to be a little apprehensive about this. All right, um, I'm not online either right now. Rick, where can people find the podcast, you online, us on Twitter? So the easiest way to find the podcast is to visit sortedcinema.com. It will redirect you to goombastomp.com. It's basically like a category page, but just to simplify things, we did by the URL, sortedcinema.com. That's where you find all the podcast episodes. And in each post, you will find the links to where you can listen to the podcast, which includes places like iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, you name it. It's everywhere online. I'm also re-uploading older episodes. I've just recently uploaded Terminator 2. And I might actually just do a few more James Cameron films like True Lies and the original Terminator. But yeah, keep keep an eye out for older episodes that I that I re-upload from like the way, way past. Like we've been doing this podcast for for years we're on episode 585 it actually took us like forever to get to sleep away camp all right well that shall do it for today's podcast but simon you've got announcement. what's next week next week you know listeners listeners at home we've been going back into the into all kinds of depths 
Uh, it's been a long time since we talked about a new film. So next week or next week, next time we get to record, we'll have to talk about this. We are finally going to do a new film, and that film will be A Quiet Place Part 2. We're going to do it. It's happening. Okay, I can get on board with that one. I remember liking the first one. There you go. So you, you don't even have a, anything to whine about. All right. I will, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next week. Hello, Ricky. Hi, Mel. Seems we um, haven't had much of a chance to talk. How's your summer been so far? All right, I guess. Just all right? Well, would have been better if there were more guys around. It's kind of hard to get a ball game up now, you know? Yeah. It is a shame so many had to leave. So how about it, Angela? Let's go for a swim. Oh, what's the matter? You afraid? Well, say something, you spoiled little bitch. It's a problem. My good friend, Angela here, doesn't feel like going in the water today. Oh, she doesn't, does she? Well, I think I can fix that. No, stop it! Let me go! No surprise, you're slipping.